Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And we are, what, going to break the fourth wall? Is it the fourth wall if you're not in theater? I don't know. I don't know. We're going to break the studio wall because we are taking a very short break from our Rome episodes. If you've been listening along, Katie is... Sounds like she's in Rome, feels like she's in Rome. She was actually in Rome a couple of months ago, but we recorded a lot of episodes, so we're still putting those episodes out, and Katie is in Seattle right now. Yes, I'm in Seattle. Yeah, and for those of you who are just joining us because of the share quick description of the show. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm from Seattle. I was a brief expat in Rome for a while, and now I'm bouncing all over the world. So exciting. Tiffany is a long-term expat. Also from Seattle. Also from Seattle, old time friend of mine who has lived in Rome for what, the past 13 years? It's going to be 14 in September. Yeah, and this show, while an exploration of what it means to live overseas, has also become an exploration of what it means to live and how we make our paths in life and make giant changes from time to time. So right now I'm in Seattle just for a month doing some freelance work before I pop back down to San Francisco. But all of that is aside, the reason why we're breaking this fourth wall or the studio wall or whatever you want to call it is because of the historic news that happened in the United States this week. We felt like we just couldn't not comment on it. And that being Trump's summit with Vladimir Putin, where to shorthand it, because I'm sure all of you have been paying attention with your jaws on the floor, he essentially seemed to throw our allies under the bus throughout the week prior to it, and then seemed to side with what is historically one of the U.S.'s most long-running enemy leaders, and also against our intelligence offices. I bet you're so glad that you're not working in a daily newsroom anymore. Oh, I, I can't even tell you how many conversations I've had like that in the last week. There were a few different jobs I could have applied to, where in a week or two, I would have started working in a newsroom again. And at the time, I really did think about it. But then I thought, I don't know if I can do that until Trump is gone without losing my mind. And a friend of mine was saying last night that she hasn't listened to NPR or public radio in possibly three years because she just can't stand the sound of Donald Trump's voice. Well, yeah, I totally understand that. So what has this been like for you? Because I certainly know what it's been like for me. Well, I want to hear what it's been like for you because I I live over here in this bubble, in this expat bubble, and so I don't know what actual Americans in America are really saying, besides the people who I watch on cable news, obviously, <laughs> but like real people. So my version is probably shorter and less interesting. And it consists of me basically talking to my coworker who's Italian and my intern (laughs) who's American, who she's definitely sees things the same way that I do as far as American politics, but she's not really following it much because I think she's over here. She's doing her study abroad thing. She's in a very much in a bubble. And so she's not following the news you know, I come in every day. I'm like, you're not going to hear what happened. And she's like, no, <laughs> it's not possible. Either I'm talking to her or I'm talking to my coworker and they don't really know what's going on. And so it's just me like telling them what's going on and like playing clips of videos for them and stuff. They're the people that I see more than anyone else besides my husband, who I don't talk about politics with him. I wouldn't say he's conservative, but he's, he's definitely not 
as liberal as I am. And so he kind of plays that middle road a lot. Play devil's advocate kind of thing. And it just, it upsets me. There's no middle road with Donald Trump. You can't play that middle road thing. I feel like he doesn't know the extent of what is going on and what has happened. And so it's useless to even have an argument about it. So I don't even go there with him anymore. But what is it like a bar in Seattle? What are people saying? I mean, I can tell you what I've been feeling in watching this. I just feel so helpless and not hopeless. I still maintain hope, but I definitely feel like, what can I do? What can I do? If we can't get the politicians, some of which are acting, of course, but like if we can't get them to act en masse. Well, they did do one thing. They did vote 98 to zero to not send Americans to like be interrogated by Putin, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Look at the bright side. <laughs> I can't believe I'm even saying those words. That's not really a bright side, though. Well, the bright side is that no, there was not a single Republican in the Senate who voted to be like, yeah, let's send the ex-Russian ambassador, or the ex-ambassador to Russia to, to Putin to like be jailed and tortured for the rest of his life. At <laughs> least killed, yeah. that. But I totally get this helpless feel- thing. I feel literally scared, like literally, and I've never felt that way in a political sense. Even when Trump was elected, like when Trump was elected, yeah, I was terrified, you know, <laughs> I was horrified. But I, I didn't have the same feeling of, you know, that kind of spiral that you go into when you start thinking these negative thoughts and you start looking at things and you think, okay, if the midterm election gets hacked and the midterm election goes to Republicans and then they'll confirm their Supreme Court guy, he won't support voting rights, he will not stand up to the gerrymanders things won't change, they'll get worse. And this is my thought. I mean, I'm hoping that this won't happen. But it's just this spiral of thoughts that one by one, the country will become less free. And it's really scary. And not to mention the whole idea that we might have a a Russian agent in the White House, in the Oval Office. Yeah. Everybody knows these stories, unless they haven't been paying attention. All of our intelligence agencies say there's credible evidence that says that they meddled with the election, which is a massive thing in itself. And that Putin ordered it. And then we have the commander in chief who says, I don't, I don't know his exact quote, because I try not to memorize Donald Trump quotes. He says, I don't know why they would. And then the next day he said, no, I said, I don't know why they wouldn't. And then someone asked him, do you think that they're still meddling do you think that they're still a threat and he said no and then the next day his press his press secretary said no he meant yes he got totally played i don't feel like he got played i don't think he knows what he's doing he goes back on what he says the fact that fox news said that what he did was partly treasonous that's why he dials it back i know that's why he dials it back but i don't feel like it's just him getting played And I'm not like trying to defend his intelligence because I don't think he has much, but I don't think he's quite as stupid as people think because, and I have no way of knowing this, but I just feel like Putin has something on him that's really, really bad and he is terrified. And so he stands up there with him and he's like, I'm going to do whatever he says. I'm going to say whatever he wants. I'm going to play by the rule. And then he gets removed from him and he gets a little bit more courageous just because he's not physically in front of him. And he says, oh, no, 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 that's not what I meant. You can see the way he talks to and treats other heads of state. 
Obviously, it's a totally different thing. But it's the same idea that he can't stand up to anybody face to face. And we know this about him. It's been seen again and again. He talked so bad about Theresa May behind her back to the sun in Britain. And then the next day, he said, she's wonderful. We get along so well. You know, yada, yada. He does this all the time. He cannot stand up to people when they're face to face. So Putin, that's even beyond. Because Putin is someone who... For all that anybody can tell, it just really seems he's been compromised by Putin somehow. So he's doing what Putin wants and doing what he says. But when he gets away from him, he has a sliver, just a sliver more confidence to be able to say, no, 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 that's not what I meant. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I mean, what's so hopeless about that is if that's true, and it certainly seemed like in the press conference, given Putin's facial expressions, that he was picturing something in his head that he has on Donald Trump. Yeah, especially when they asked him if he had something and he laughed. Yeah, and he also like, he laughed. like uh, look up and into the corner, which is what you do when you're trying to remember and you're picturing something. Yeah, up to the left. Yeah, I think that that confirmed our long held suspicion that he has something on him. Okay, let, worst case scenario, we now have a puppet of the Kremlin in the White House. The fact that we, as a society, seem to be doing next to nothing about it is what makes me feel so hopeless. Do you really think that? I mean, I feel like the Republicans in Congress are doing next to nothing, but they, they have to do something. That's not society. They're the ones that can do something. They are the ones that can do something. So, yeah, we can protest, but the, here's where the helpless feeling comes in. We can protest and we can elect people at the midterms. That's what we can do. And we can put pressure by writing letters to the Republican people. But unless the majority party does something to rein in their guy who's blatantly doing things that are historically shocking from a presidential standpoint, that's where the hopelessness comes in. That's what, where I feel anxiety and panic because I feel like there's nothing that I actually can do to force them to do something if they're not going to. It is very hard. It is very hard. And you can understand why people in times past have had revolutions. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know that we're going to, we're heading for a revolution. Maybe we are. But I do think that you are seeing, (laughs) this is something I just noticed in the last week, that you are seeing more and more prominent figures talking about these issues, but also sort of giving a pass, being like, hey, sometimes you got to have a barbecue with your friends. <laughs> sometimes you got to go to the spa. Sometimes you got to watch something funny on television. And they're saying it's okay to do those things because people are like rattling out of their minds, don't feel like there's anything that they can do. And so these people just lately, I've ke- I keep hearing different people saying things along those lines that are like, it's okay to rest. It's okay to have joy. It's okay to have fun in these periods of time. Because you're going to need it when you also have to step up and do whatever it's going to take down the line. I do think a lot of people are heading toward escapism. You just can't stand it after a while because you feel like there's nothing that you can really do. That's what it feels like. Yeah, I I totally get it. I feel like because I come from a state with two, I mean, I don't come from there, but I'm registered I'm a U.S. registered voter in Arizona. And I feel like having two Republican senators and a Republican representative, those are people who are generally going to side with Trump. So my little call that I make and the little message that I leave on the answering machine, alone it's not going to do anything. But 
added to hundreds and hundreds and thousands of other people doing the same thing could make a difference. Whereas if you're from a, a, a blue state like Washington, where you know your senators are already against him, but they're not in the majority, then you really feel like you have nothing, you can do nothing. And the same with the elections. Like, obviously, you're going to vote in the midterm elections, but your vote probably won't make a huge difference because you're in a blue state. Whereas my vote, which is like a gray state, a purple state, I feel like my vote really counts. And I know it's just one vote, but it kind of gives me a tiny, tiny sliver of hope that that one vote will count, you know? Yeah. Do you think you'd feel different if you didn't have voting rights within the United States at this point? having lived abroad for so long, or if you'd never like registered to make sure it was happening? Well, I have to register every single time I vote, because if you vote from abroad, you have to re-register every election. So I'm used to that. I know what I have to do to like make sure that I vote every election. But here's what I've been thinking about a lot, though, that as an expat, and not just someone who's living abroad for a short period of time and planning to go back, but someone who's been here for over a decade, someone who has citizenship in a second country, who's married to someone from that country, has like a community, a job, family. It's very easy to fall into the mentality of, well, I'll just never go back there. Mm -hmm. I'll just stay here. I literally, and I, I kind of like, I'm scared to say this because it'll be out there and <laughs> one day someone will, will quote me on this. But in dark moments, I have had the thought, I'm going to renounce my citizenship. Hmm. I know that sounds horrible. I won't do that. I never would do that. But that's how, that's how little I recognize my country. Well, why would you? Why would you renounce it? Like what statement would be, you be trying to make? Just that I don't feel that that's the place that I belong anymore. If that's the way that I look at the polls and I see that 80% of Republicans approve of the Helsinki summit and this huge percentage of Americans, like 40% of all Americans, which yes, it's not the majority, but 40% is a huge number. Like 40% of Americans, I think, approve that summit. There's like this 40% of America that is all in for Trump, including several members of my own family. And they're so hardcore that you cannot say anything you are kind of lucky in the sense that you're either in Seattle or San Francisco generally, and you hop around a lot, but those are the places where you generally are living. When I go to the States, I'm in Arizona or I'm in Boise, Idaho, and the people there, you can't talk to them, even my own family members. I can't talk to them about this because they just say fake news or they say, oh, you just hate him, or they don't listen, they close their ears. I can't even have a conversation there's this wall you can't get through. And it's very scary. It reminds me of other, I'm not going to name any names, but other times in history and other places where people were just brainwashed into closing their eyes to anything negative, accepting the sliver of positive positivity that they saw in a person or in a situation and closing their minds to all the rest, or even worse, being in favor of all that negativity. And I just sometimes feel like I don't want to be part of that. Now, again, I will repeat, I'm not actually going to give up my American citizenship. And I pray that this is an isolated moment that will eventually end and we will move on from it. But honestly, I feel like 
I just don't recognize my country anymore. And I used to always have this sort of feeling as an expat, I think a lot of expats have this feeling, but I'll just speak for myself. Like living in Italy, the jobs aren't the best, the salaries aren't great, and there's not a lot of opportunities. Schooling, it's very high quality, but it's very negative to the kids because it's too rigorous, in my opinion. There are certain negative things about this place that I always kind of have this thought in the back of my head. Well, eventually I'll just go back to the States. It's this kind of trapdoor that expats have. Yeah, between, they can always go back to their home country. Yeah, they can always go back to their home country. And I just kind of always had that thought in my head, not that I'm planning to go back, but just, I can. And it always kind of gave me a sense of peace and a sense of, if anything ever really hits the fan, Italy decides to leave the EU and they, you know, all the housing prices collapse and like my money is worth nothing, peanuts, you know, I can always go back to the United States. But now my thoughts have shifted on that. And I think to myself, instead of thinking, thank goodness I have American citizenship and I can always go back there. My thought is, thank goodness I have Italian citizenship and I can always live in Italy if I need to. But I'm lucky. That's a big shift. It's a big shift. And I mean, I'm, I'm lucky. There are not that many Americans who are dual citizens. So it makes me think of the people who don't have that opportunity. I mean, yes, people can move abroad without being a citizen, but it's not as easy as you know. And it's made me start to think as well, does this, what does this say about my patriotism? What does this say about my allegiance to the United States? You can't ignore it living over here, if you choose to. I follow the news very closely, so I'm not ignoring it. But you can if you want. Yes, if you have the Italian news on in the background, occasionally they'll talk about it. But if you're not on Twitter and you're not on the AP, whatever, on your phone, you can kind of ignore it and pretend it's not happening and just be like, well, this is where I live now. And so I feel like as an expat, we lose some of our allegiance to our home country. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know. Well, and sometimes that just comes, as we've talked about in the past, that just comes from realizing from living somewhere else that the somewhere else that you move to feels more like home than the home country did in the first place, which we've definitely talked to people who have felt that way. I mean, even talking about this, I can feel the anxiety, you know, like in my chest and it just gives me, it gives me such a headache. I haven't seen the 40% statistic that you mention that feels high to me personally okay i want to say that i can't remember exactly what it was i can't remember if it was about the summit i know that it was 80 percent of republicans approved of the summit the 40 percent, i don't know if it was the same approval of the same thing it might have been approval of something else that trump was doing but it shocked me when i saw it i was like 40 percent. who are these people i don't know you know how they always say that there's a right and a wrong side of history and like your goal in life should be that you are the one on the right side, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Not to throw parts of my family or your family under the bus, but there are like, there is a distinctly wrong side in this case, in my opinion. And if it's not tending toward justice and empathy for people who are not of your exact background, then you are on the wrong side of this. And the fact that our long standing allies, Trump talks about like they are the enemy and like our own government entities are the enemy to him. That is not a good sign. And if you are supportive of him, in my opinion, you are on the wrong side. And Fox News, frankly, is propaganda. 
and propaganda is played on both sides of the fence, but you should be reading reputable news sources of all kinds, of both sides. I mean, there is real journalism and there is not real journalism. And I think what was shocking to Donald Trump, who we know is a huge fan and friend with Sean Hannity from Fox News and who spends vast amounts of his day watching what Fox News is saying about him, (laughs) along with MSNBC and CNN. The fact that Fox News, even after this summit, was like, oh, hold on, (laughs) you know, whoa, should I at least I hope is a slight crack yeah. in the the not listening that you're talking about. I hope it's at least a slight crack where it is enough of a shift where the people who you cannot talk to and who will not listen at least go, well, maybe I disapprove of that. I don't know. I think there are some people who he could do anything, literally anything. I mean, he said it himself during the campaign. He said, I could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue. And I wouldn't lose a single vote. And I think it's true. And it was the truest thing he ever said. Because the people who love him, it's like a cult. And even people in Congress have said this. I think Bob Corker said, it's like a cult. He's a Republican. Hmm. That's one of the things that scares me the most, actually, is because I feel like all this time I've been like thinking, okay, well, you know, Bob Mueller's doing his job and it's all going to come out. If there's something that's going to come out, it's going to come out, Right. But what I'm afraid of is, even if it does come out, even if there's proof, either people won't believe it or they won't care. And if there's not enough public outcry, then it doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, there will be public outcry. But enough? I'm fairly certain of that. If the officials in charge still do nothing, that's where it feels hopeless. People have marched in the streets 10,000 times since he was elected. And the Republicans were able to stop the Supreme Court nomination by Barack Obama because they were in the majority. I know. If they refuse to stop this from happening, that's where it feels so hopeless. Anyway, oh, let's try not to feel hopeless. <laughs> you said at the beginning you felt helpless, not hopeless. So oh, yeah, please, let's, let's go back to helpless. hopeless. That's why I feel hopeless. And so riddled with anxiety. And I think why everybody's just like, let's just try to enjoy the summer. <laughs> Might be the last one. Yeah. No, I was just joking the other day, though, and I was like, let's record one last episode <laughs> before, before God before knows the world en- Before he destroys the planet. Destroys the world. No, I mean, it's kind of farcical. I um, sometimes will scroll through Twitter and I have a politics list on my Twitter. I follow about 100 different journalists, politicians, and other people who talk a lot about politics. And sometimes I feel like I'm reading The Onion. I really do. (laughs) Certain things will go out there and I'll look at the source and I'll say, "Wait, wait, is this an Onion article? (laughs) No, it's the Atlantic or no, it's the Washington Post. (laughs) I just can't believe it. And I also, for a short short period of time, I was following a parody account that fools a lot of people. It's called Real Donald Trump in an E instead of an O, but it's got the same exact picture. And when it comes up, you can't see the full name. You can just see like the real D. Uh And so it fools a lot of people because he retweets everything that everyone writes to him because he'll say something outrageous and people will respond, taking him seriously. Yeah. 
And I was on there and, and I don't follow Donald Trump and he's not on my list because I don't want to see his tweets. But sometimes people will quote them, you know, and so somebody had quoted this tweet and I wish I could recall it for you. I wish I could pull it up, but it was definitely about Russia and Europe, down with Europe, up with Russia in so many words. It was much longer than that, but that was sort of the basic meaning of it. And I literally sat there and I looked, I was like, is this the parody account? Because it didn't seem possible. It didn't seem like he could possibly say that. And it was the real thing. Yeah. This is nuts. This is nuts. I did see an Onion headline that was floating around on social media the other day that just said Onion in crisis over not being able to come with more outrageous headlines than what's real or something like that. Yeah, I believe it. But I was just looking at the Onion while you were saying that, and I love this headline right here that just says, world wonders what Trump has on the United States that's forcing nation to keep him in power. <laughs> well, you know, you laugh, but I think that and I mean, now I'm totally going out of my expertise because I have no expertise in this area. But since we're just... We're riffing. We're riffing a we're little bit. We're just sharing our fears on tape yeah. for some reason. Sometimes I think that Putin might have something on a lot of the Republicans. Hmm. Because otherwise, or Trump might have something on them. A lot of these people are... I mean, I don't agree with them politically, but, you know, they're long-serving, rational people who care about their country, even though they might think differently about how best to serve their country than I would think, at least like at the end of the day, they want the best for their country, you would think. And it just seems odd that so many of these people are just not standing up. And a lot of senators and Congress people have decided to resign. And it makes me wonder, are these a the few people who just can't take it anymore? I don't know. I don't know. Well, I think people resign for all kinds of reasons. That's Well, that's true. You know, that could be like burnout. That could be feeling like you can't get anything done. Or that could be you want your seat to be open in the hopes that something else happens. Yeah. And among many other reasons. I don't know. I mean, it's also, it does feel like it's too easy to just say, oh, well, it's the power. They want to hold the money and the power. And they do as long as they are in control. And so many of them do, I think, agree with what's going on. They don't want immigrants coming here. They do want the NRA to be powerful, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They do want America to be, quote unquote, great again. They are still racist, some, many, all those things. <sighs> We're back to hopeless. We're back to hopeless <laughs> and helpless. But anyway, I don't think you should renounce your citizenship just yet well i'm not going to I, it was just a thought that crossed my mind i'm not actually going to no no i think we should put it out there Let, let's make that a narrative arc of the show at this point <laughs> to keep the tension going <laughs> people could be like how bad has it gotten has tiffany renounced her citizenship yet should i renounce mine should i flee from the country right now well, well it, there's still time yeah stay tuned <laughs> oh, it's scary but I also, I also do hope that for this show, which we very rarely talk about politics because we also know that some of you don't agree with us, I felt like we needed to talk about it because I know that expats across the world are talking about it and many of them are also feeling kind of helpless about the situation. But I also do hope that this show serves as another picture. When I think about making this show and if it's relevant or not in these times, I do think that 
it's important to remind yourself that there are still a lot of paths that you can take and you can still keep dreaming and you can still keep hoping for your own personal future. And so I'm kind of hoping that even though some of our episodes won't seem right on the nose, that they can be a break from all of this and that they'll keep you sort of dreaming and discovering things in the world that are wonderful rather than dark seeming. (laughs) So yeah, that's my hope just looking at art and history and all the things that we do on the show on a regular basis and answering people's questions about whether or not they should move to Seattle because of the earthquake subduction zone. We just got an wait, email about that. Wait, what earthquake what? Well, you know how Seattle sits right on a major fault line. Mm-hmm. So one of our listeners who's considering moving to the Pacific Northwest was asking, how do you live in a place where that is such a massive danger and be okay with that? I wrote her back because I figured we wouldn't do a show about it, but maybe we could do a show about how you live in a natural disaster area and feel okay about it or move to one for that matter and feel okay about it. But we can leave that for another time. They've been talking about the big earthquake in Seattle since I was a little girl. I mean, yeah. And there was one earthquake. There was one pretty... There was one in 2001. Was it 2001? Yeah. I was definitely not living in Seattle at the time. Yeah, I was. And you could definitely feel it. I lived on a really busy hill at that point, like a really busy traffic road. And I, at first, thought it was a semi-truck going by (laughs) that was like rattling the windows because sometimes they would tear down the hill and it would just shake the whole house. But then it kept lasting. Mm. So that's how we knew that it was actually an earthquake, but not too much happened. I feel like we've talked about it on the show, really. We did an earthquake episode when Italy had those earthquakes a couple years ago. Yeah, so we don't have to get into that. But I was just answering that question. And I love those questions, you guys, from all of you who have questions that write in and just ask either topic ideas that you want us to explore or questions like that of, I kind of want to move to Seattle, but how in the world do you stay sane living in a city that could have a 9.0 earthquake that destroys everything? That's scary when you put it like that. Yeah, yeah. There's a book out there if you really want to be scared about the earthquake in Seattle. And this was not the advice I gave her, by the way. But but if you really want to be scared about the earthquake in Seattle, there's a book called Full Rip 9.0, which talks about exactly what would happen to every single part of the city. Oh, God. So maybe get that book and read where the safest places are. Jeez. Figure out where to locate yourself. But anyway beside the point perhaps we should leave it there yeah i'm sorry to leave it on a little bit of a helpless note yeah we were almost helpful and hopeful there for a minute and then i brought earthquakes into it so maybe (laughs) (laughs) is it helpful to say hey if it's not vladimir putin and donald trump it will be mother nature so let's just enjoy our lives while we can well what does it say about what does it say about it that while we were talking about earthquakes i felt less stressed than while we were talking about trump (laughs) Seriously, I was like, oh, this is a nice diversion. I'm glad she went off on this tangent. (laughs) I know. It's like the anxiety headache faded away for just a minute there. (laughs) Oh, man, that's depressing. Uh, So follow us on Instagram. (laughs) We're all going to die. If you want to see pretty pictures of Italy, follow us on Instagram. Search for the Bittersweet Life podcast on Facebook. We do lots of fun things over on Facebook. Look for the Bittersweet Life podcast or go to Twitter where we never retweet any politicians at Bittersweet Pod. No, we only retweet travel stuff and interesting stuff about Italy or Seattle. And sometimes funny things. Sometimes. If I see funny things that I really like, 
that's when you know I'm around because I put out weird things from time to time. Yeah. I'm like, what is this? I, because I'm the usual, I'm usually the, the, the social media person. And every so often I'm like, wait, what did I post? What is this <laughs> random animal? Why is there a picture of a badger here? <laughs> I posted a picture of a badger smoking a pipe the other day. Is that what that was? I couldn't <laughs> figure it out. <laughs> That was a shout out from me to another podcast that I really like right now. So I got it. Well, anyway, what I was going to say was we are also doing a share Yes. Right now, which is a very, very fun thing. So share the show with five friends. You can send them an email. We have a little template on our website on the about section. And I'm about to put it up on Facebook. Sorry, I haven't done that yet where you can just copy and paste that and send it off to your friends, ask them to subscribe to the show, or you can just do it by word of mouth or grab their phone from them, subscribe them. And there are prizes if you get five people to subscribe. Prizes. You get thrown into a drawing to win a copy of Tiffany's book. By the way, my sister, and I have not run this by you, but my sister decided to get friends to subscribe by doing a social media post. And so she put together this really great, super visual, very funny social media post, you know, help me win this contest <laughs> to win this book, you know, by subscribing to the show. And, and I told her it counted because people would just, all of her friends would post below it and they'd be like, subscribe, subscribe like that. And you could do that it that way too. Like if you don't want to send an email, but you have people underneath it that are like, I, I did it. I helped you out. She's like, it's going really well over here. Can I get an entry <laughs> <laughs> to win the book for every five people that I get to subscribe? Can I have my name thrown in multiple times so that my odds go up? What do you think? I think that sounds fair. That sounds yeah, fair. So for every five people. She's up to 20. 20 people? She's gotten 20 people to subscribe to the show? Yeah. And that so is she's, awesome. And she's extremely competitive. So she's like, tell them to bring it on. Wow. I want to win that book so bad. That's so, so sweet. She's, she's sort of throwing the smack down to all of you and saying like can you beat my 20 hey she is perfectly willing to like if somebody starts beating her 20 to like buckle down and try to get even more hey i've got an idea i'm just gonna throw this out and you can cut it if you don't like the idea okay how about we do this how about we do two giveaways one a drawing and then one for the person who gets the most people to subscribe oh that's a good idea Okay. You want to go with that? Sure, we can go with that. Okay. All right, so modification to the share If you get the most people to subscribe, we'll guarantee you a copy of Tiffany's book. Unless you live, like, where it's really, really hard to send it. If you live in, like... No, no, we're going to get like, it. Like Timbuktu. We will send people into the bush country <laughs> for you. <laughs> yeah, okay. So the person who gets the most in guarantees a copy. The rest of you get thrown into a hat to see if you win a copy. And let's say some of you, so many of you I know already own a copy of the book. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't play along because everybody who plays along and gets five new subscribers or friends to say that they'll try out the show gets to hear a secret episode of the program, the Truth or Dare episode, the episode we're not even letting our mothers listen to, where we will go out into the streets and collect sound or do whatever it is that you suggest that we do or tell you whatever truths about us that you would like to know. So that's another fun thing that we're going to do, but you only get to hear it if you participate in the share And the share only goes until the beginning of September. So I know a lot of you are in that languid summer period and you're not yet playing along because you feel like you've got all the time in the world. 
But might as well get on it, check it off your list, and uh, move on. Yeah, if you do decide to tell your friends through social media and you want the people who have commented, subscribed to count for you, you'll need to make a screenshot of that and send it to us. They can just type the first five names and send it to us. Instead of even having to do that. That might be even easier. Whatever works. You basically just have to send us a note letting us know that you got five friends to subscribe and we're going to believe you because we like you. Yeah. And you can do that by either sending us an email, post it to Twitter, post it to Facebook that you've done it. Let us know so we make sure we got your name on the list to receive that secret episode. Mm-hmm. All right. Boy, we went on about that for a while. Yeah, we did. All right. We're going to leave it there. And next week, we return to Rome, or actually, take a little side trip to Orvieto. Plan your vacation to Orvieto and join us next week. And until then, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Talk to you next week. Bye.